the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Um. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And we continue in hour number two now at nine minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock on this free-for-all Friday morning edition of the Bob France Authority. It's the 14th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2018. Thanks so much for being a part of our conversation. Thanks again to Congressman Renacci, who joined us last half hour. And now, without further ado, I've been promising uh, a very, very insightful and illuminating interview. Bradley Smith is... Um, most notably in this particular case, a former chairman of the Federal Election Commission. That matters so much uh, as it pertains to what he wrote for the National Review about. But uh, he is also a chairman of the Institute for Free Speech and a visiting fellow in the James Madison program at Princeton and a law professor at Capital University in Columbus. So how about that? we got a Buckeye joining us now right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Smith, thank you so much for your time this morning. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm fine. Good morning, Bob. Good morning to you. All right. I uh, I read uh, three times now. Uh, when I first saw it, I believe it was Wednesday, and I read it yesterday, and I read it again this morning before you came on because it is so uh, very insightful. The the, uh, the explanation of what Michael Cohen has pleaded guilty to with respect. Now, he's pleaded guilty to a number of things. We should probably clarify that, right? Um, his three years in prison are not just for orchestrating and making the payments to Stormy Daniels and to Karen McDougal uh, on behalf of the president that's not uh, his primary crimes here right it's a uh, tax evasion tax fraud that sort of thing yes well i don't know if it's his primary but yeah he's got a whole a whole bucket of crimes against him uh, of, of just of which just one is the campaign finance violation but and the reason i say that you know you maybe you do want to say that's primary because i think that in a sense isn't that the one the prosecutor really wanted 
right? Because that's the only one that potentially implicates Trump. So in that respect, I'm sure that's the one he wanted, whether it's primary in terms of how much jail time he serves. Uh, I'm skeptical. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, and, and, when I, and, and when I say primary, this, this is the interesting part about this. Same thing, in my view, um, with Paul Manafort. Remember, this special counsel's job was to come in and investigate potential collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians to see if the Russian meddling had anything to do with the Trump campaign. And in order to go after the Trump campaign and Trump, they went into all kinds of personal things. You know, Paul Manafort had uh, committed a myriad of crimes or, or misdeeds long before he ever joined the Trump campaign team, and that's what they went after in order to get him to turn on Trump. Isn't that the same thing? That's why when I say primary, they went after Michael Cohen for a whole bunch of stuff that he was already going to be on the hook for on his own, apart from the president, so that they could get him on the things that he did with the president. Right. It's worth it to understand that, you know, when people plea bargain, I mean, a prosecutor typically has a lot of other charges that can be brought. You know, Michael Cohen's man in his early 50s, he was looking at a jail sentence that might have been 20 years or more, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of his adult life. And so the pressure to, to cut pleas is very large. No question, and 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 that's why they do that. We know that's high. It's frustrating, uh, you know, to me as a as a layman, a civilian, not a lawyer. I just look at that and I say, wait a minute. The job of this special investigator was to determine if this happened. Why are they going into all of these different directions? And we know why. It's to squeeze potentially principal witnesses to try to get them to turn. But isn't that before we get into the details of what is not a crime as it pertains to campaign finance laws, as you wrote so expertly about for the National Review? Isn't isn't that Essentially, twisting the law in order to, uh, you know, in order to justify the existence of a special counsel, he's got to get his pound of flesh, and he'll twist and and ring people out, uh, and they're even with their own private legal matters in order to get his pound of flesh. Yeah, I think it's a problematic uh, situation, and and of course it goes beyond this case, but it it is very problematic. We should point out that that the sentencing of Cohen the other day, the charges were actually brought by a U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. That is, Mueller uncovered some of these events and passed it over to the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. So we're not technically here talking about the special prosecutor. But, yeah, we're still talking about the the Southern District with all the enormous resources of the federal government that's decided that they have an interest in, in turning Michael Cohen. Okay. Uh, now, uh, let's, let's talk about campaign finance law. This is, of course, uh, just a perfect area for you and your expertise as a former chairman of the Federal Election Commission. You wrote about Michael Cohen pleading guilty to something that is not a crime. According to the talking heads, the fake news, and of course every Democrat in D.C., of course it's a crime. He took Trump's money at Trump's urging, and he spent it on these women to shut them up so that they wouldn't embarrass him as the campaign went on. So therefore, it should have been reported, and it wasn't. It's a campaign finance violation. That's the story they're giving us. Can you summarize, obviously it was a fantastic thing that you wrote, but we can't read the whole thing here summarize uh, why that's not a crime. Right. First, let's start with, with why the, the U.S. attorney, what he's bringing, right? He looks at the statute, and the statute says anything that is spent for the purpose of influencing an election is uh, has to be paid with campaign funds and is subject to all these limits and reporting requirements and so on, right? So for the purpose of influencing an election, that's what the prosecutor is hanging hat on. The problem is that the statute is much more complex than that. And we know, for example, that it doesn't literally mean anything that's for the purpose of influencing the election. Candidate gets up in the morning, he drives to his campaign office. The only reason he does that is because he's running for office, but his gasoline is not a campaign expense. That's a personal expense that he would pay, you know, if he were working in, in any other job, right? He buys a nice suit because he wants to look good in the debate. Uh, he buys it solely for the purpose because he's running for office. 
doesn't matter. It's not a campaign expense. That's a personal expense. And the law is very clear that you can only use campaign funds for things that for obligations that exist solely because of the cam because of the campaign. So let's use a more realistic example. We have a businessman. He's running for office. He's got a bunch of lawsuits. It's, you know, people with a lot of business holders often have various lawsuits against their companies and against themselves and so on. Uh, a lot of them meritless. And let's say he calls. In That's why they have law firms on retainer, right? To to be ready to respond right. to those at a moment's notice, right? Well, that's right. And, and plus, you just basically have you know, traffic accidents involving your company cars and things like that, right? So he calls up his lawyer. He says, look, uh, I want these lawsuits settled because I'm running for office. I don't want them out there as a distraction. And I don't want some reporter to try to twist these and make it sound like I'm a cruel tycoon, right? The, his lawyer says, no, these are great cases. We're going to win. He says, doesn't matter. I want them settled because I'm running for office, okay? Is that a campaign expense? Can he settle those lawsuits now using the campaign funds, the money that people donated to his campaign? The answer is no, that's not a campaign expense. And again, the key is part of the statute that says a campaign expense is something that uh, it, it exists because of the campaign. If the obligation would exist otherwise, not a campaign expenditure. So why does uh, Trump's obligation to these women exist, right? Uh, if it exists at all, it's because of things that happened years before he was campaigning. That's what created the liability. It may be true that they decided to pay at this point or pay the amounts they paid in part because he was running for office, but that does not convert it to campaign expense. And here's the bottom line on this, Bob, for people who are sitting here thinking, boy, this sounds weird. I mean, Think about it the other way. If Trump had paid for this with his campaign funds, would people say, would all these people paying for him, do you ask them, is, is that a legitimate use of your campaign funds to pay blackmail to, to you know, women for events that occurred years before you ran for office? I think everybody would say no. And in fact, had he done that, had he used campaign funds, and had he then reported this, which they probably would have just been reported as legal expenses on the reporting, Right, you can bet that a lot of the same people now claiming he's violated the law by paying for this with his personal funds and not reporting it would claim that he violated the law by using his campaign funds for personal use, as it's called. So that's the real thing. They're going to get him coming or going. But I look at the statute and I say, I don't think that spending money uh, to pay blackmail to people for long ago events uh, is a campaign expense. Well, you know, the other thing that, that I think is important here, too, we're talking with Bradley Smith, by the way, the former chair of the Federal Elections Commission. He knows a thing or two about election law, campaign finance law. He is also now uh, a law professor at Capital University in Columbus. Um, the other thing that I think is important to, to point out here is that we don't even know if these things happen. He denies these affairs. Now, now you can look at preponderance of the evidence and so on and say, that's fine. But the point is, two women maybe not as, as as publicly notorious as one being a an adult film star and the other one being a Playboy Playmate model, but two women could come to the president, at, or not the president, then just a businessman, and accuse him of these things. You had an affair with me, pay me or I'm going to your wife. Pay me or I'm going to the press. And as a businessman and a, also a public figure, because he's a television game show host, which he was at the time, you know, a decade ago, he might just pay them off to shut them up, even if it was never true. Again, how can that be automatically linked to campaign finance. He could very easily have said, I want to shut these girls up just because it's going to hurt my ratings. If people think I'm a, you know, a lecher and a scumbag, they might not watch my TV show anymore. And that's nothing to do with campaigns. 
Right, exactly. So you've got two things going on here. First is, is again, the part of the statute I've noticed saying that the obligation has to arise because of the mm-hmm. campaign. And, you know, what is that? That's, that's polling. That's hiring a campaign manager. That's buying phones for your campaign staff. Mm-hmm. That's uh, paying for broadcast ads, right? Um, and, and this obligation doesn't arise because he's running for camp, for office. It arises because these women are accusing him of things to say he, he denies, right? So, so that's the first point. The second point is that even if the motive, even if one of the motives for settling these matters was, be, was the campaign, that doesn't elevate them to a campaign expenditure. And the reason for that is that the FEC, when it passed implementing regulations here, very specifically said, no, if it's a mixed use, if it benefits you personally but also benefits the campaign, it's not a campaign expenditure. And note the idea here was to keep campaign funds from becoming sort of personal slush funds because you could justify almost anything when, once you're running for offices, you know, benefiting the campaign. Well, I needed to have my teeth whitened so I'd look good on the campaign trail. You know, uh, I needed a better-looking car, whatever, more reliable transportation. You can justify all those things. And so the FEC specifically rejected that. They said this has to arise solely because of the campaign. And here, as you point out, Bob, obviously a man like Trump would have a lot of reasons. He may want to spare his family embarrassment. He may not want his young son, Barron, who's uh, preteen, to you know, be reading about this or hearing rumors about this at school or whatever. He wants to preserve his viability and his career as a television personality. There's a whole host of reasons to do this. And, in fact, it's interesting. Michael Cohen, in his uh, sentencing memo to the judge in which he agrees to this plea bargain, he does say very specifically that he made these payments in part for the campaign and in part to save the family embarrassment. And so that alone, I think, would take it out of the realm of a campaign finance violation. We're talking to uh, Bradley Smith, uh, former uh, uh, chairman of the Federal Election Commission. Let's talk more about Cohen, because this is a big part of this to me. Uh, he's an attorney, supposedly a pretty well. I mean, Donald Trump chose him and has used him for years and years. I would imagine he's pretty good at this. Uh, look, I'm not a law professor. I'm not even a law student. But I understood very clearly everything that you wrote. How did this astute, um, highly successful attorney on his own not realize, wait a second, they can't, they can't charge me with this. It's not a crime. And why did Lanny Davis... His, his, his counsel in this case, how do these high-profile, well-respected uh, attorneys not recognize what you laid out so very clearly that even a layman like me can understand it in your piece? Well, there's a couple of things here. One is most people really don't understand campaign finance law, which is very, very complex. Uh, one time at oral argument in the campaign finance case, uh, Justice Scalia, who was you know, a pretty decent lawyer himself, <laughs> actually said, this campaign finance law is so complex, I can't figure it out. So it's a very complex law. But the big, the bigger reason is probably straightforward, as we talked about at the outset. Uh, Cohen is being squeezed by the U.S. attorney. He's looking at 20 years in jail unless he cops a plea. Uh, and what does the U.S. attorney want? The U.S. attorney really wants Donald Trump. That's what he wants. And the only thing that gets Donald Trump is the campaign finance violation. So he, he you know, tries to get the plea for that. As I pointed out at the outset, it's not like the U.S. attorney is just making this up. He, he does have the basic statutory language that if something's for the purpose of influencing a campaign, it, it's a campaign expenditure. I just think that he's ignoring other parts of the statute that make clear that it doesn't really reach uh, uh, expenditures such as uh, were made to these women. Um, Mr. Smith, let me, uh, let me go a little further on Cohen and, uh, uh, and, and on, on Lanny Davis here. Do you believe that Lanny Davis represented his client to the best of his ability? 
And, and why do you think that Mr. Cohen would choose somebody who is a close confidant for decades of both Bill and Hillary Clinton? Because, I, it, it, again, I'm just looking at this from the outside. I, I don't see a guy that necessarily represented his client very well. He represented his client in, a, in the best way that he could to get his client to turn on and embarrass and to, try to, and to try to take down his political rival or his friends, the Clinton's political rival, known as President Trump. Well, you know, I, I can't say why Michael Cohen chose him. You know, it's possible he thought it would be good to have somebody who seemed to be a high-profile Democrat as his lawyer, that that would make for good appearances when he, you know, goes into court and so on. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I assume Ronnie Davis, you know, has ethical obligations to represent his clients. I assume that he did what he thought was the best he could do. I would just note that, uh, and this is no slur on Ronnie Davis' general ability as an attorney, but again, he's not a campaign finance expert. And so, you know, that may have influenced how things came out. Um, last thing before you go, sir, and I really appreciate your time this morning and your great work and explanation of all of this. Um, Tom Steyer's a billionaire who I think makes Donald Trump look like a pauper, uh, and he is getting closer and closer and closer to running for president on the Democrat side. He is a devout anti-Trumper and so on and so forth. He is a, a multi, multi, multi-billionaire, and he has pledged to essentially spend up to a billion of his own dollars to win the White House and remove Donald Trump. So if somebody is 100% self-funded in their campaign, does every nickel that they spend in their daily lives end up having to be scrutinized by the, fa- uh, by the uh, uh, election commission as, as it pertains to, to to, uh, campaign finance? Well, that's a great way to summarize my point, Bob. You know, because the answer obviously is no. And that's what I say when I say, you know, the, the mere fact, although the, the statute does say anything for the purpose of influencing the election, we know that that's not really what it means because the guy, you know, who's running for office, you could argue that literally everything they do is for the purpose of influencing that election. And the answer is no, it's not all reporters' campaign expenditures. Yeah, and, and, it, and it really shouldn't be, but that's how it, that's how they're making it appear in this case. If Donald Trump used his own private funds to fund the campaign, which he did, a lot of it, and he used his own private funds to pay off uh, these women to, to not embarrass him for a variety of reasons, the idea, it almost sounds like, well, then everything that he spent ever is going to, you know, is going to be scrutinized as to whether or not it was campaign related. And I think, I think that's a very dangerous thing. So, um. Yeah, it's, it's pretty absurd. Yeah, and, and complex is, I think you said the word that Scalia used for it, and I, and that's, uh, that's a gentle term, uh, cause it's, 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 it's beyond that, and I won't use the profane, profanities that I think that would go along with it. Uh, listen, Mr. Smith, really appreciate your time, sir. Fantastic piece for, uh, National Review. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks, Bob. Thank you so much. Bradley Smith, uh, again, he's a law professor down at Capitol University in Columbus now, uh, but again, he's a former chairman of the Federal Elections Commission, and that was so very important for you to understand. Let's get out now and get a traffic. Come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Details. Game sold separately. All right, 1028 now, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Guest free between now and 11 o'clock, so this is your time. Dial up, 216 is a free-for-all Friday the rest of the way, so anything you want to talk about is fair game, on topic or off. John is in Chardon, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, John, go ahead. Hey, yeah, in your conversation with Renacci this morning, did yes, he allude to... Mitch McConnell didn't support him in his president Renacy's presidential bid or his uh, senatorial bid. Uh, no, I didn't. Did I didn't. I didn't. I did. I didn't pick up on that. No, I think he was uh, talking about McConnell in other terms. Okay. Okay. So what I called in about Bob was uh, I had a personal experience regarding Pearl Harbor. 
Okay. I was six years old when when it happened, and my didn't my parents didn't tell me because I, I think they weren't sure what was going to happen. And I found out about it about the from the kids across the street. Mm-hmm. But fast forward to when I grew grew up, I served in the Navy and became a good good friends with a warrant officer bosun who was there at Pearl Harbor aboard Battleship Maryland during the attack. The Maryland was moored inboard to to the battleship Utah, which was the one that was hit hard and, and right. turned turned over. Right. He was plenty scared. And he kind of froze in his tracks as other sailors scrambled topside to uh, 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 man the uh, uh, 20 and 40 millimeter machine gun placements. Right. And uh, as the Japanese were strafing their decks. Later, my friend was called to relieve one of the gunners who had been injured, and he fired at the planes until the ammo ran out. And but by that time the attack was starting to wind down, uh, and now this guy has a great sense of humor. I mean, he they they expended all their am, ammunition, and he said, "Well, we we uh, opened the mess locker and we were going to throw put, to potatoes at him." But anyway, this this man and I developed a lifelong friend friendship after after the Navy, and and we got to interact and see each other. Um, for for you know uh, many times right. over the over the years, so um, anyway. Well, I'll tell you uh, what you know. God bless him and everybody else that was uh, you know that was a part of that. That was uh, you know that that had to fight for their lives. And and John, thank you by the way too for your service in the Navy as well. And uh, we say that you know, and I, we had this great conversation, John. Thank you on on Pearl Harbor Day one week ago, in fact, uh, last Friday, and we talked about uh, some of the. Um, amazing uh, stories of heroism that arose from that day and from the subsequent days, all those who enlisted to go and join the Great War um, to to preserve and protect this country. And uh, and I'm glad you brought that up and shared that with us again today. So God bless you, your family, as well as your friend uh, who endured uh, uh, Pearl Harbor uh, uh, right there at the, uh, at the moment of the attack. Thank you so much, sir. 1031, news time. Your calls after that on AM1420.com. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's 1036 now. By my count, that leaves 24 minutes of outstanding awesome left for us today. Uh, we're going to take you up until Mike Gallagher and uh, look forward to that con- or his conversation uh, until noon, then Prager. Medved, Seculo, Elder, and the anti-Trumper after that, uh, who I do not necessarily uh, promote. Uh, but appreciate you being a part of it. Phone lines are wide open now uh, between now and 11 o'clock. Dial 216-901-0945, The President of the United States still waiting for the funding for his border wall to be approved by Democrats and by some in his own party, had a message for Democrats uh, in this Twitter video that I think I'll share with you right President now. President Trump says that uh, Democrats are being hypocrites here and that he's going to do whatever it takes to get his border wall, to get border security. Democrats say President Trump is throwing a temper tantrum. President Trump posted a video on Twitter that included old clips of Democrats talking about border security and barriers. The fact is, they've always supported fences and walls and partitions, but you know what? They only don't want to do it because of me. 
Mr. Trump met with the top Democrats in the House and Senate this week, and they very publicly argued over funding for the border wall. The public and private part of that Oval Office meeting ended without a concrete resolution. President Trump wants $5 billion for the wall. Democrats say they're not really going to do more than $1.3. The president said he'd carry the mantle if the government shuts down. Representative Nancy Pelosi later told reporters she and the president spoke, and Trump told her the White House was looking at the options she and Senator Chuck Schumer laid out. Now there's the president's Twitter video. We posted it along with the... Right, enough of the report there. I just want to hear more from the president himself. This is, again, the president's Twitter video uh, that he posted this morning. Actually, it was late last night, and most people woke up to it this morning. Let me give you more of the direct statement from the president and his uh, relaying to you the statements of Democrats Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. The Democrats are absolute hypocrites. All along, they've been supporting walls and supporting fences and supporting all sorts of border security. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. I voted uh, numerous times when I was a senator to spend money to build a, uh, a barrier to try to prevent um, illegal immigrants from coming in. Uh, we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. The fact is they've always supported fences and walls and partitions, but you know what? They only don't want to do it because of me. They have to put the people ahead of politics. We need to have the wall. We need border security. Whatever it takes to get border security, I will do it. I pledged that a long time ago, and I will pledge it always. We've done a really fantastic job with what we have. We can do an almost perfect job if we have the wall and proper border security. And that's what we're going to do for the American people. Thank you. Brilliant use of Twitter by the president by doing this video, but it's one-tenth, one one-hundredth, one-one-millionth of what he could get done if he did that on national TV. It's time for an Oval Office primetime address. With what he just said in a minute and 16 seconds, multiplied. Again, first of all, the reach will be much larger than just the Twitter feed. Second of all, you'll have more time to lay out the case for the American people. Talk to us about the cost, Mr. President. Let the American people know the cost of illegal immigration in this country. It is not hard to find. The numbers are all out there. We know exactly what we're spending on illegal immigration. The numbers, total government expenditures on illegal aliens at the federal level, about $45,870,000,000. At the state and local level, $88,992,000,000. Total national cost, $134,800,000. Total tax contributions by illegal aliens in the United States, about $18,900,000,000. That means the net total economic impact to the United States uh, of America with respect to illegal immigration is $116 billion. That's what it costs us. Get on TV. Tell, you know, 150 million people this on television, sir. Don't just tell the, you know, the number that actually uh, several thousand of them or 100,000 even uh, that, that will w- watch what you just did on your Twitter feed. Lay it out there for them. The numbers are all accounted for. Federation for American Immigration Reform has put all of these numbers out there, and we've talked about it. And then call out, as he appropriately and properly just did, the Democrats for their hypocrisy. They have all been opposed to illegal immigration in the past. 
They have all talked about border security and the need for it in the past, and now they just don't agree because it's Donald Trump. He's right. Do you remember these two Democrat presidents? I do. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country, are rightly disturbed the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more, by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. In the budget I will present to you, we will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crimes, to better identify illegal aliens in the workplace as recommended by the commission headed by former Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. Even as we are a nation of immigrants, we're also a nation of laws. Undocumented workers broke our immigration laws, and I believe that they must be held accountable, especially those who may be dangerous. When I took office, I committed to fixing this broken immigration system. And I began by doing what I could to secure our borders. But today, our immigration system is broken. And everybody knows it. There are actions I have the legal authority to take as president. Tonight, I'm announcing those actions. We'll build on our progress at the border with additional resources for our law enforcement personnel so that they can stem the flow of illegal crossings and speed the return of those who do cross over. If you're a criminal, you'll be deported. If you plan to enter the U.S. illegally, your chances of getting caught and sent back just went up. We expect people who live in this country to play by the rules. We expect that those who cut the line will not be unfairly rewarded. The actions I'm taking are not only lawful, they're the kinds of actions taken by every single Republican president and every single Democratic president for the past half century. And to those members of Congress who question my authority to make our immigration system work better, question my authority, question my authority, question my authority, question my authority, or question the wisdom of me acting where Congress has failed, I have one answer. Pass a bill. Those statements made by Bill Clinton and Barack Obama um, should just ring in every American ears, every American's ears, rather. <clears throat> they demanded the control of our border. They demanded security of our border. They demanded the uh, cracking down on the hiring of illegal aliens in the United States. Chuck Schumer, add his voice to this list and his tweets as well. I, t- I gave you this yesterday. Just five years ago, 2013, Chuck Schumer said, we must have border security and we must have mandatory E-Verify in order to stop the hiring of illegal immigrants in America. Now, what changed? The answer, Donald Trump changed. They all have Trump derangement syndrome. They hate him so much. They do not want anything, even if it's what they agreed with a short while ago, anything to be done if it benefits Trump. And the building of a border security wall, the securing of our border, the stopping of the flow of illegal immigration, uh, illegal immigrants, I should say, to this uh, country would be a huge win, a big check mark in the column, in the W column for Donald Trump. And they don't want that. They would rather see Americans die than Donald Trump succeed. Yeah, I said it. I'm saying it again. Schumer, Pelosi, Democrats, 
everywhere who don't believe in border security are condemning Americans to die. There's, there's just no two ways about it. Criminal illegal aliens, violent criminal illegal aliens continue to pour across our porous border, and so does the deadly fentanyl that is killing Americans by scores. The vast majority of that lethal drug are coming to us from south of our border. Americans are dying, and the left would rather have Americans continue to die than for Donald Trump to have a simple win. That's the bottom line here. And if you don't think when we talk about criminal illegal aliens coming across the border, you don't think that's legitimate, the new stats are out from ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. In 2018 this year, ICE arrests, 90% of illegal aliens arrested had criminal convictions or uh, pending criminal charges. Nearly 50% increase in arrests of illegal aliens with criminal histories. So listen to that again. 90% of those arrested were arrested not just for being here illegally, but because of other charges as well. That is a 50% increase in that number. They don't want Trump to have a win, and that's why they are willing to uh, sacrifice American lives. Nancy is in Cleveland. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Nancy, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Yeah, well, um, just to reiterate what you said about him uh, talking to the American public, I wish he'd go on TV and letting them know the cost, but then what he should also say is that how much more people would get in their paychecks when we reduce the cost of uh, illegals and that means government now has more money to give you a little bit more for Social Security, SSI, uh, and lowering fees. That to make, you know, how much you would get and save if we didn't have to spend time on illegal aliens processing them. I, I think, um, um, I, I, personally, in my opinion, I, I think that what Americans have already seen in terms of boosts in their paychecks from both the tax cut uh, itself, uh, the lower tax rates, which all Americans are enjoying, but also the increase in middle class wages, which has been, uh, what did they say, a 10, 20 year high in terms of increase in middle class wages. Um, and that's all because of the economy that has been fostered by the deregulation of so many businesses by the Trump administration. I think most Americans are already enjoying bigger paychecks and lower tax bills. In my opinion, uh, Nancy, if we can stop having to pay $116 billion a year for illegal immigration, I think we could finally get our spending and our national debt under control. That our, our national, that's the one thing that President Trump has not been able to really attack, um, that a lot of people wanted him to do. We all pointed out correctly that Barack Obama in eight years, um, did more damage to the national debt, increased the national debt more than presidents one through 43 combined. And President Trump was going to come in and rein some of that insanity in, and he hasn't. The national debt continues to spiral out of control. So to me, I think we're already getting our paycheck bumps, uh, Nancy, Nancy, and, uh, and I think we can then work on our national, our national debt, which of course is a great big albatross around our necks. Go ahead. And then the second thing I wanted to mention is I listened to all of this, uh, people, uh, uh, you know, copying a plea or, you know, tattling. I've never seen a society of more tattletales in my life on earth as I have in the recent years. And I think it's due to that social media and people being online and, and not, you know, honoring and, and observing 
privacy rights and how important it is to protect privacy. I mean, people need to take a lesson from uh, the mafia and the oath that they took in you know, you don't rat, you don't snitch, you don't tattletale, because it just leads like those two girls uh, for uh, suing Trump. It, the tattletale just leads from one mess to another. We've become a tattletale society. It's like they got no respect for privacy, and they don't care about honoring privacy well to me you make a very good point about social media especially nancy and i thank you so much for your phone call i'm going to move on to some other people your the social media world has led to so much division so much <coughs> excuse me so much um destruction i think of people's personal liberties uh, it's it's satanic it really really is and I know I say that with a de- degree of hypocrisy here because I do promote my own use of social media in the interest of reaching my listeners. So I know that I am being hypocritical here, and I really don't, I don't take pride in that. But, but social media is very, very dangerous and very destructive for a number of reasons. As to your point on privacy, to me, I am more concerned with honesty. It's one thing for somebody to rat the truth on somebody if it helps them. It is... You know, it is less than honorable if you are going to rat somebody out only to save your own skin. But at least if you are going to do that, make it honest. When you're making up stories, if you're telling lies just to save your own skin, promising a prosecutor or an investigator that you'll come up with something on somebody else in order to ease the burden on yourself and then making things up to do it, that's a problem. And then the other thing is personal enrichment. I don't know if Donald Trump had affairs with Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal or not long before he became president. If he did, that's terrible. I do not condone that. And I think there's a personal situation there that he's got to work out between himself and his wife and, and whoever, <laughs> with whomever else he is close. Excuse me for the coughing. But um, if he didn't have those affairs with those two women and they just uh, um, told these stories in order to try to embarrass and shame him before he ran for president and then demanded hush money, I'm going to give my story to the National Enquirer if you don't come up shooting with some money. For him to have to pay them off like that, to me, that's not a rat culture or snitch culture. It's a theft culture. That's stealing. That's extortion from somebody, uh, especially if it did not happen. So uh, really great call, Nancy. I appreciate that. Let me get a quick timeout, come back in and get a couple more before we're done on AM 1420, The Answer. Final segment of the Bob France Authority for this free-for-all Friday morning. We're going to get you uh, Mike Gallagher coming up after the top of the hour news. For now, though, let's go to AC, who's calling us from Cleveland here on the Bob France Authority. Hi, AC, go ahead. Uh, Bob, uh, yes, sir. quick comment on John's earlier comment about Pearl Harbor. And, yeah. and it sort of has something to do with borders. On the day of the attack, Sunday, December 7th, the night before, there was an Army radar crew at the north, on the north end of Oahu at a place called Kahuku Point. They had a radar unit. They were there all night. They were to be picked up by a truck to take them to breakfast at 6.30 in the morning. The truck broke down and never got there. They stayed at their post and manned the radar unit. They picked up the blips from the squadrons the Jap squadrons coming off the carriers on the radar unit. They 
radioed the commander of the base, I don't know if it was the Navy base or the uh, Hickam Field or what, and they were told, well, you know, uh, your unit is experimental, and we, we, we can't really trust it, and we're, we're expecting B-17s from the, from the West Coast. Well, the B-17s weren't, uh, didn't come in until much later. They had the whole attack on radar, and if the warning was heeded, there would have been an, a lot less loss of life. Wow. That's uh, that's an amazing story. Those are the kinds of stories, uh, and AC, I thank you so much for sharing that with us. Those are the kinds of stories that go uh, untold uh, and unlearned. I had never heard that before, um, you know, and that's why we try to study our history, and that's why last Friday, for those who are wondering why somebody's bringing up Pearl Harbor, right now is last friday i did a bit of a commemorative pearl harbor uh not an entire program but for a portion of it and we had some uh veterans calling with stories and obviously last hour or last half hour john called with a story and that's what prompted this one and these are fantastic these are the things we need to know <coughs> excuse me not very many of us got to stop this cough. I apologize. Not very many of us were alive when Pearl Harbor happened. Those who were and those who have studied it, honestly, uh, are doing us a great service by sharing so that we do not forget. Very important. Hey, I said I was going to do this last hour, and I forgot to do it, so I want to end the program with this today. I want to offer a little um, Christmas greeting to everyone uh, in, an, in, a, in an appropriate way, okay? Um, to my Democrat friends. Please accept with no obligation, implied or implicit, my best wishes for an environmentally conscious, socially responsible, low-stress, non-addictive, gender-neutral celebration of the winter solstice holiday, practiced within the most enjoyable traditions of the religious persuasion of your choice, or secular practices of your choice, with respect for the religious and secular persuasion and or traditions of others, or their choices not to practice religious or secular traditions at all. I also wish you a fiscally successful, personally fulfilling, and medically uncomplicated recognition of the onset of the generally accepted calendar year 2019, but not without due respect for the calendar of choice of other cultures and contributions whose contributions to society have helped make America great, not to imply that America is necessarily greater than any other countries, nor that this is the only America in the Western Hemisphere also. This wish is made without regard to the race, creed, color, age, physical ability, religious faith, or sexual preference and or sexual identity. To my Republican friends, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. That's all I've got for you this uh, morning. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher is next. We'll see you Monday on the Bob France Authority. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.